with uh, Microsoft and they wanted me to pay a dollar a click. And I was just thinking like, who would ever pay a dollar a click for anything? And of course today, <laughs> you know, it's a dollar. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering... Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends, old and new, that I've met through my career as a marketing leader, consultant, and chartered advisor. And hopefully, along the way, share some marketing street knowledge that will bring out the Rockstar CMO in you. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. This episode, recorded on Friday the 13th of August, the year is flying by and I think I claimed it was still July last week. I hope you've had a good week and you're well, safe and staying the same as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff is back and we continue to chat about planning. I have another fabulous guest, David Rodnitsky, founder and CEO of 3Q Digital. And I ease into the weekend with a trip to the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Right, let's get started, shall we? Right, on to our first segment. A welcome back to my chum, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO Advisor and former Research Director at Serious Decisions and Forrester, and we continue to discuss marketing planning. All right, welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO. Thank you very much. How are you doing, sir? I am doing great. Happy summer. Here we are in the thick yeah. of things. Yeah, and you've been enjoying your summer. I haven't had another. I have been trying my darndest. <laughs> yes. And I think I see the sun outside your window. Is that sun or is that yes. just heavy fog? No, it's... <laughs> <laughs> Reflection yeah. off the fog. I think today it's between the showers. We've not had the greatest summer. It's, it's been pelting down with rain today, but the sun has briefly popped out. We're hoping for a better weekend, so we'll see how that goes. Good. Good for you. But yes, it's good that you're enjoying your summer and it's nice to have you back on the show. Um, but well, we're going to resurrect our sort of series. I guess it's a series if we miss a couple of weeks, isn't it? Um, where yeah. we're going to talk about planning. It's um, a fortnightly series. A fortnightly series. We're doing series every, every other week. That's a good English word as well. Fortnightly. <laughs> um, so we covered uh, last time, we sort of dived into campaign planning. And before that, we talked about your seven elements of planning, which I think is excellent. And I need to write a blog post about that because it's excellent. Um, but um, what, what, what we've been talking about before I hit record was, what do you need to start a good plan? What, where, do we yep. st- where do we start before we start, if you like? What, what, what say you to that, Jeff? Well, I think I, I think that it is um, it's always important. Like if 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 I'm the CMO and um, and actually this is true of really any executive in a planning process, it's like okay, I'm going to pull the team together. Uh, what do we need? And you know, and and it could be you know just bring in your plan from last year. You know, uh, or do you have the corporate goals? Uh, you know, the corporate goals. Yeah, uh, so so. I think that rather than stumbling into the planning process, mm-hmm. it makes sense to have your, you know, your, your shopping list, your laundry list yeah. of these are the things that I want to have. I, you mm-hmm. know, you may not, you may not have all of them, but you know, there's the things I want to have going into the process so that, 
you know, my the team and myself, we can actually start making some good decisions and or find out where we got some gaps that it's like, okay, we need to understand what the revenue goals are in mm-hmm. each of the three regions. Okay, yeah. somebody's got to go out and get that. So when we come back, we can we can yeah. update our plans. Yeah. And and so, but it's not just about revenue, isn't it? How, is it, it? I mean, when I've done no. this sort of thing, it's also it's also understanding in detail what the marketing contribution is going to be to that. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and it's also understanding the broader corporate um, corporate goals, and, mm-hmm. and and so it's you know, and there's a lot of things that would come out of a longer term strategy perspective that you mm-hmm. want to make sure you've you've got you know documented to whatever extent that, that it can be documented. But, you know, there are things that you're trying to decide that are that are going to have an impact over the next year as part of your planning process. But then it's like, well, we know some people did some work on the product roadmap. We know some mm-hmm. people did a go-to-market strategy, you know, and understanding where we were, how we were going to grow over the next three years. Where can mm-hmm. we get our hands on that? Mm-hmm. Who did the latest competitive analysis? You mm-hmm. know, do, can, we, can we get our hands on that? So, you know, so there's all these things from a, you know, from a longer term strategy view that we want to make sure we have, as well as the things from a short term, uh, you know, what, what are, what's everybody else deciding are, is important across Mm -hmm. the allied functions like sales and product, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so, you know, one way to kind of maybe chunk this out because there's in our, in our laundry mm-hmm. list, we don't want to make a laundry list too long mm-hmm. because then everybody will forget it. But it's like, there are, there's the, the aspect of goals and objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's your, in the environment, you know, the business environment you're in. And then there's the resources, you know, your marketing resources. What, what does your team have to work with? And I think if we, if we put everything into those three buckets, mm-hmm. it becomes easier to, um, uh, easier to conceptualize. So I'm writing notes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> right. So I think, uh, I think when we talked about the seven steps, I think we covered a lot about goals and objectives, right? About the fact yep. that we need to be as, as a marketing team tied to the C-suite objectives yep. of revenue and growth and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm interested in what you're talking about here about the environment you're in. Do you mean the market that we're in as an organization? Yes, and, and um, I do want to come back to goals and objectives because I think there's a few oh, okay. dimensions to that. But but just to 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 address your question, I don't want to evade your question. Um, <laughs> is that is that I think that it is um, yes. There's the there's the go to market strategy, which which um, you know it, it, hopefully every organization has got an idea about mm-hmm. how it is intending to grow, mature. Or what other objectives do we have that aren't specifically in this coming fiscal year? And, you know, and it, could, it could be, you know, we're going to get to a point where we want to be acquired. Or it mm-hmm. could be, you know, we're a startup and we need to get to a point where we're trying to get uh, the next level of funding. Or, right. you know, or we're, you know, next year we hope to open up into a new market. Yeah. So, again, understanding that 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 broader time horizon and how mm-hmm. the company intends to, whether it's grow or become more efficient mm-hmm. or, you know, get itself sold off. Those yeah. I think are important because they may have some reflection on what you want to do in this current year or uh, the coming year. Also yeah. pro- product roadmaps and, and you can, you know, you can too often get too um, micro focused on yeah. when our release dates 
what are we going to do for product launch, et cetera, et cetera. So you, um, you know, you, you don't want to get too tactical yet, but you do want to know what the, what the product roadmap is and, mm-hmm. and, you know, to whatever extent there's a, a sense of major releases coming or uh, major evolution of the products and services you offer. Got to include services because it's not just yeah. about products for most companies. Um, so, and then there's the, the other part of the environment. Well, there's a couple other parts, but certainly understanding the market and technology trends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, the, if somebody in the company has done a SWOT analysis where mm-hmm. not only you're trying to understand your strengths and weaknesses, but you're trying to see where, you know, where the rest of the market is going and where competitors are going yeah. um, can be really good because that'll help tune you know uh the types of uh programs and campaigns that you might be running um and anybody that's done a competitive uh analysis and and i i don't know i've been involved with a couple companies that have done a really good job of like win loss analysis Mm. and 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 the the interesting thing about win loss analysis is that you know you, you, you go into it focused from a sales perspective how did we win deals how did we mm-hmm. lose deals but the information that's gathered in those in those um you know from the interviews of a win of a good win loss analysis are just absolutely mm-hmm. priceless for understanding how your company's positioning has been working and or how execution has been working well and what to what extent marketing has a role to play in that and sometimes you know mark maybe marketing doesn't have a particular impact on on um the wins and the losses but it's um it it's still it can be particularly for the product folks has a uh has a it's a really rich set of information yeah, yeah i like the points you're making there and it, um, actually win loss analysis is excellent i mean the first time i experienced really good win loss analysis was when i was at a vignette 20 years ago 20 odd years ago and um it was actually we had a former cia agent who hired to do, to do competitive analysis it was it was amazing and then the other point you were making about goals and objectives I really like that idea that you need to seek out those non-obvious goals because I've worked for growth companies where hiring was a big goal and therefore as a marketer you need to then think about the different personas of, of prospective uh, candidates you need to then present the company in a way to attract people to work for you not just to buy from you and yep. um and then about investors too. Again, it could uncover a new in, a new persona that you need to address in the financial information you share as a marketer, or the way that you talk about the company, because it's different to an investor to is to somebody who wants to buy from you. So those are really interesting points. So what are, I mean is that well, did you wanted to go back to goals and objectives? Is that well? The, I think there's I mean there's a couple things that I think are um, important as you you know because like if if you say okay we need to get the corporate goals and then there's yeah. got some revenue numbers and, and, and maybe it's broken down to some level, but it's like you, you you realize that in your planning process, and this may not hit you right up front, but at some point in your planning process, you're going to need to know how those goals break down from a, you know, a product perspective, um, uh, you know, a product line perspective or business unit perspective. And you're going to need to know how, those goals break down from a regional perspective mm-hmm. so that if you've got, you know, I mean, if certainly you and I've been in a lot of global companies where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, we're making all of our money in us, UK, Netherlands, but you know, but we got people that are in Hungary or we got people in, 
you know, in in a a, a part of our uh, of of our global reach where it's yeah. like things are different, and and if you have marketers that are in you know, these territories and they have to align themselves with the salespeople in those territories. And and this would be true at a country level at a, you know, you know, region like a, a MIA yeah. region, North America region level, uh, as well as a, at the global level, because you've got people who have colleagues or that they're collaborating with between marketing and sales. And you never want to put those people in a, in a, you know, in, in a, in a, um, poor position. So it's like, yeah. you've got some big global campaign you're going to roll out and that's going to be the big focus for the next fiscal year. And yet somebody in a smaller region is like, well, we're still making money on an older mm-hmm. product set or, uh, or, you know, we're actually more is one of the things that certainly a number of companies I've been at. It's like, well, in this region, we do everything through a channel or yeah. through a distributor. And so now yeah. it's like, okay, I got to, do I have to figure out how my global campaign adapts to that or, mm-hmm. or do I need to figure out what do we do? What, what can we do for those regions that are, that are, have a, maybe they have a slightly different go to market, um, mm-hmm. whatever the dynamic is uh, you know, let's make sure we're not leaving them out in the, in the lurch, in the planning process. And that, mm. and that's one of those things where there should be checkpoints throughout the planning process to say, are we, you know, are we considering the needs of all of the regions and right. are they, are they buy when we create, you know, a set of global campaigns or initiatives, are they buying into it? Are they yeah. opting out of it? And, and don't leave that for once the year starts, make sure you've, you've addressed that you know, up front so mm-hmm. that there aren't any uh, mis- missed expectations from either side. Right, right. So that's, that's we need to get a bit more detailed then around our, our goals and objectives and make sure that we're bre- being inclusive of, of the needs of all the markets and all the products and all, all the territories. But also it sounded like you were touching there on, on the third point that you made, which is resources and understanding, because that's where I thought that was going to go, is like understanding what presumably you've got available to you as a senior marketer. Correct. To, to and, and, right? and the, 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 one of the worst uh, knee jerk reactions is in the planning process of which uh, I know I've been guilty. Maybe you've been guilty of as well as like, okay, I can't do any planning until you tell me what my budget is mm. because mm. then I'm just going to, I'm going to take all the tactics I worked on from last year and f- mm. and, and then the things I want to do, and I'm going to figure out how they fit into a budget mm. because I want to make sure it all gets, it, you know, it yeah. all gets funded. And so um, one of the things certainly when, when I was at four serious decisions is, you know, we would say, well, you put the, you got to put the budget aside because mm. you basically want to go through, the planning pri- process to determine what your priorities are yeah. and where your dependencies, and then make sure you're, you're, you're applying the budget to fix the things yep. that are, that are, um, that are going to make your highest priority elements of the budget of the plan effective. Yeah. But that's so, why, you, that's why you should be planning early, right? Is so you start making a case for that budget because, correct. And, and I ranted about this a few, few weeks ago, I think when you, when your back was turned and you weren't on the show, in that, the, <laughs> the, 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 oh, um, I heard that. <laughs> is, that is that marketing? You know, that, so you know, you sitting back and waiting for your percentage of revenue to execute as a marketer is is wrong. You, what you need to be thinking about is how much do I need to invest to reach these objectives, 
um, and and then go to go to the CFO and say, look, this is how we're going to make these revenue objectives, and it needs me to spend this, and this is how I'm yeah. going to do it. it yeah. and, but you can't do that the month before the year starts, right? You have to. We, you need to be thinking about that like now, right? You need to be thinking about it ahead, and, and you and you because because one of the things you do want to do is set up your one of the elements when we went through the seven elements of a marketing plan is a critical yeah. element is the dependencies, and so. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we need to hit a certain revenue goal, uh, you know, in a certain segment of the market. And I've got a campaign and I've got some staff, but I need extra staff. And I and in order to hit a rep marketing contribution number, you know, the numbers that I've worked through say that, that I need a certain amount of budget for, you know, my campaign spend. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, I don't have that budget. Now that's a dependency that, uh, that, you know, yes. or, or at least that's a risk factor mm. and something that we need to address in the, uh, you know, during the planning process before we hit, hit the beginning of the year. Well, that, that also helps manage expectations, doesn't it? I think, I mean, if we, I mean, I've always felt that, um, you know, is, is the size of budget you get given as a senior marketer isn't the issue. It's the expectations that you can do with that with budget, budget, which is the yep. issue, right? Is yep. that is that if you've got if you've got a very small budget, then let's hope the expectations of what you can do with it are, <laughs> yeah. are consummate, you know, to that commensurate commensurate yeah. to that. So I, I always find that budget discussion really interesting in terms of, well, you know, it's going to be this percent. And it's like, well, what do you want to achieve with that? That's yeah. the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, what's our budget next year? Is it flat? Is it mm. down? Is yeah. it up? Oh, darn, it's yeah. down. And it's yeah. in. But the goals and, are the same or the goals higher? What's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, so um, but resources aren't just budget, are they? What else do you need the, to evaluate in your Well, there's certainly there is your your current staff and mm-hmm. their their competency level. Um, yeah. you know, because that could be, you know, one thing, particularly when when strategies change, you know, yeah. we're gonna go to more of a target account, supporting a target account selling model, yeah. or we're going you know we're advancing digital or Mm. we're um we need to put more effort into our branding and we really haven't we don't have any skills or whatever that are that can help us do that Mm -hmm. so understanding the current staff and their competencies is i mean that's an essential Mm -hmm. element going into the planning process yeah um understanding what what vendors you have um you know from contractors to you know advertising digital agencies etc mm-hmm. you know um they're another element you know because maybe mm-hmm. maybe you you lose some on the staff side but you can gain some on mm-hmm. the program side so therefore you need to find the agencies to help you execute and then the other other two items which you know which i i don't think people focus enough on are f- technology and mm. your, your critical processes because yeah. if if one of the things you need to do let's say for example you don't get additional budget but the but the the objectives are are you know getting tougher mm. to hit mm. well how do i make myself more efficient and are yeah. there ways i can you know do a you know process improvement project oh. and see, you know, how can my creative team put out more, uh, you know, yeah. more creative output for with the same team or mm-hmm. what are the tools am I using and are the, can the tools help my team be more effective? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and I think those are, those are elements that, I mean, people usually, you know, it's like it, 
put that at the end of the process to say, oh my gosh, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're being asked to do all of these things. And yet we, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're suffering because of our inability to execute. Well, how mm-hmm. do we figure, how do we, how do mm-hmm. we improve that? If you, if, if you come in to the planning process and say, well, here's, you know, here's the, the half a dozen processes that we have that are mm-hmm. critical to how we run marketing. Um, and are they operating well? And is that something in our planning process we need to think about, mm-hmm. you know, how do we operationalize, you know, all the demand handoffs? How do mm-hmm. we operationalize all the creative, the content production? How do mm-hmm. we operationalize, uh, you know, our communication strategy yeah. and and the technology? From the technology should actually be um, the elements that you think of that can help improve some of those processes. So if you go through the process and say, "Here's where it's broken," bum, bum, mm-hmm. bum, okay, now that's where maybe we need to employ some new piece of technology mm-hmm. to help us make us, you know, go faster, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of work um, uh, with clients on um, uh, a marketing resource planning and, and, it, and, um, and, and it was just one of those things that it's like, there's so few organizations that kind of use those tools uh, to improve processing, to improve, the ability to collaborate to improve the reusability of mm-hmm. assets and content, mm-hmm. you know, digital mm-hmm. asset management, and 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 it's like that's usually where marketing teams, in terms of understanding their processes and the right technology to support it, that's where a lot of teams really fall short. Mm. And no, not to go, that's kind of a tangent, but I mean that's certainly no, one of like the things. It, no resources. I mean technology resources, and also about process. I I find that. Um, you know, a lot of that is actually to try and manage the interruptions, try and manage the ad hoc requests, try and manage yeah. the tactical content needs or the or the the constant, you know, the you know it being interrupted in order because you need some t-shirts or whatever it is, you know, that the marketers yeah. often have to provide. So I think that's great. Um, we're up to time now, Jeff. Um, so I'm going to ask you to um, to to recommend a, a song for this particular planning uh, episode. You know, as I think we had discussed in a previous episode songs about planning. I don't know. There's something about people in the rock folk, whatever, you know, <laughs> alternative music. They just, I, yeah. they probably don't do a lot of planning personally, but anyway, there's, there is a cool song called making a plan right. by semi sonic. Yes. And you know, the guy's having troubles with, uh, you know, his partner and they need to make a plan. That sounds perfect. And I shall play out with that. And uh, thank you very much, Jeff. And I understand that you're going to continue to enjoy the summer. So I won't, we won't see each other next week, but the week after. Within a fortnight. All right. Excellent. <laughs> and, and we'll be planning some more, I presume. Yes. I, look I have another, another idea bubbling about on planning. Great. Well, I'll speak to you then, mate. Thank you very much. Enjoy the, enjoy the next two weeks. Sounds great. Thank so you very much. Bye-bye. Take care. In the land where my dreams flew around I bulldozed the trees and set my feet on the ground Put a day in and a week would come out I didn't have time for doubt Then when the whole thing went down the drain I learned that the future don't always obey Now I'm afraid to get back in the pool Somehow I'd feel like a fool Making a plan Making a plan. Splendid. Thank you, Jeff. 
and that was Semi-Sonic and Making a Plan from 1998. And I'll, of course, include links to Jeff in the show notes. I'll stop by our website, Rockstar CMO FM, and click on the advisory button. On to this week's guest, David Rudnitsky is the founder of 3Q Digital, which he began in a coffee shop in Pacifica, California in 2008. During his tenure as CEO, he grew 3Q Digital to more than 300 employees in 10 offices across three continents, managing more than $1.5 billion of media spend. Prior to 3Q Digital, David held senior marketing roles at several Silicon Valley companies, including Rentals.com, FindLaw, Adteractive, and Mercantilla. He has a bachelor's degree with honors from University of Chicago and a Jewish doctor's degree with honors from the University of Iowa College of Law. As you'll hear in our conversation, David is now an author. His book, Unfair Marketing, was published last month. And as a lover of marketing books, it's my pleasure to welcome David to the show. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Hello, David. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Ian. Thank you for having me. No, thank you very much for joining. Um, and I've already introduced you and a little bit of your background. Fascinating it is. Uh, and you run a 3Q Marketing, is that correct? The, the, the name of your firm? And um, what is it? 3Q Digital, do? but we, we 3Q, 3Q Digital, yeah. I, I wrote it down wrong in my notes. <laughs> That's a good start. No worries. No worries. <laughs> so what is it that you guys do? Yeah, so we are a performance marketing agency, which I think means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But essentially, um, companies come to us because they're looking to uh, use uh, the internet and mobile to grow their business, and they have a uh, an ROI objective to their marketing. So, uh, unlike branding, where you know you run a, a big ad at, at the Olympics and you don't exactly know what worked and what didn't work with, mm. with performance marketing, you give us a thousand dollars. And hopefully uh, when we give you the report back, we've made $1,500 of revenue for, for your business. I like that. I like that. Simplifies things really well for what performance marketing is. You give me some money, I'll yeah. give you some more money back. He's, that sounds fantastic. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good selling proposition. Yeah, yeah. And I have to mention that you, I mean, I wish I was videoing this because you're talking to us from Hawaii today, aren't you? I am. Yes, we, uh, you know, we finally got uh, on an airplane after a year and a half, uh, yeah. and we decided to stay domestic. But this is the most exotic domestic location I could find, so yeah. uh, it's great. I'm looking out on the ocean with a bunch of sailboats and palm trees. It's it's not too shabby. Yeah, David just turned his camera around before I hit record. I have to tell you, it does <laughs> look beautiful. And um, but whereabouts are you normally based? Normally, I'm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, so mm-hmm. specifically San Mateo, which is, uh, I guess, uh, the tail end of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've obviously done, done my research before I met you and you've got a fantastic marketing career. Tell, tell me what first inspired you to get into marketing. I always ask my guests this. I'm always interested. Well, yeah, it was a little bit of a roundabout journey for me. So I actually went to law school mm-hmm. uh, and I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Um, and I got a couple of years through law school and I realized it wasn't for me, but I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do instead. Um, so, um, I was going to law school in the state where I was raised, which is Iowa, which is, uh, the Midwest It's, mm-hmm. in the, it's known for its uh, farming of corn and pigs, basically. Um, uh, and it's <laughs> I very didn't know flat. About the middle very, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More, more pigs than people and, uh, the number one producer of corn and soybeans in uh, wow. America. Um, wow. so very, very aggregate agrarian. Um, and so I just 
decided I you know wanted to try living on the coast somewhere. Um, I had a friend from high school who was out here in San Francisco. So I moved out here without any plan. And I happened to come out here in 1999 when the first dot-com mm. uh, boom was happening. And around 2000, there was a startup that um, needed um, to hire people. And they really just hired me almost as a warm body. They said, oh, this guy's got a law, law background. We'll just hire him to do strategy and research and corp, you know, mm-hmm. corporate research for us. So I was doing all that. And they had one marketing person. And the marketing person quit. And suddenly, there was no one left to do marketing. Uh-huh. So I basically just volunteered. I said, look, I don't know anything about marketing, but I'll I'll keep yeah. the seat warm to hire a professional marketer. And so yeah. uh, they gave me the job. And um, and the other fortuitous thing that happened at that job was I was handed a budget of $50,000 a month. And all that was going to a PR agency and a brand mm-hmm. agency. And we really just were a very early stage company. And I yeah. just couldn't figure out why it would make sense to spend $25,000 a month on PR mm. when you barely launched a product. So I started digging around the internet and that's where I found what um, uh, was called goto.com at the time, which later became Yahoo, uh, Overture and later became Yahoo Search Marketing and yeah. the genesis of the entire Google ecosystem. Yeah. So I discovered this little pay-per-click site and I started buying clicks for like a penny a click. Yeah, and I just thought this is so much better than the what I was handed with this marketing role. You know, Yeah. This, Sending out a press release that no one reads, and not that there's mm-hmm. anything against press releases. There can be good press releases, but mm-hmm. anyways, that sort of that sort of launched my career in this whole online marketing and performance marketing space, and it was, it was very haphazard in the way that I came about it. I love it. I love I love talking to folks that were there back in those days because it really was a bit sort of the wild west. And if you discovered, you know those those new techniques, it was really you could really move the needle then, couldn't you? Yeah, it's actually pretty amazing. I was actually just uh, reflecting on this because. Um, you know, it used to be that we would buy keywords for a penny a click, or mm-hmm. five cents a click. I remember uh, negotiating with uh, Microsoft and they wanted me to pay a dollar a click. And I was just thinking, like, who would ever pay a dollar a click for anything? And of course, today, <laughs> you know, a, a dollar will, will, won't get you much. Um, and yeah. there are many clicks that are in the 20, 30, 50, 100, even thousand dollar a click range. So yeah. it was actually a, a really amazing time to to be around, not, not only because it's sort of we were helping to invent the the whole ecosystem yeah. but it was just very affordable and very easy to to drive right. profitable campaigns for for your business right and then and so you had that career and then uh, sort of in in-house and then you formed 3q digital what, what inspired you to create your own agency that was also haphazard um <laughs> you know i i don't have i didn't have a, a grand scheme or grand plan in any of this but essentially in 2007 i was working at a company where i was managing a team in india and I was traveling there once a quarter to manage that team. And on top of that, I wasn't really happy with the direction of the company. And on top of that, my wife was pregnant with our first child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being in India when your wife is going into labor is usually Absolutely. not a good strategy, unless you live in India, in which case that's fine. But being in the United States, it's not <laughs> yes. so not so great. And I just wasn't happy. So I just I just said, you know, I'm gonna take a couple months off and just, mm-hmm. you know, spend time with my newborn and and see what happens. And I actually launched a bunch of crazy ideas. I started a, a, a conference. Um, mm-hmm. I had a marketing conference that I ran. I started four or five essentially affiliate websites. Yeah. Um, and and then I people kept calling me saying, can you help me help me with my search engine marketing? And so yeah. I started taking these calls. And, and at some point throughout the year, my conference fell apart because I had a dispute with my co-founder. Oh. Um, the affiliate sites that I had, which were profitable, got hacked. And so all oh, the no. money dried up on those. And But then people kept calling me for the search engine marketing. So I said, well, you know what? If people are 
telling you that they want to give you money for something that they think you're good at. Maybe you should yeah. follow the money. Yeah. So I started just as a consultant and it was probably a year or two later that I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I can't handle all this work myself. Yeah. Maybe I need to hire someone to help. And it was just very organically uh, grown yeah. from there. Yeah. And what are you, what are you now at like 300 people or something? That's... We're close to 400 people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's quite, quite the team you've grown there. And are you, are you global then? We are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point we're very virtual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like every, everyone, but yeah. we have, um, clients around the world and, um, I know we had a, a WeWork in Dublin for a while. I think we're mm-hmm. not using that one currently, um, mm-hmm. but we we um, we do represent um, companies that are buying ads in virtually every continent. Probably not in Antarctica, as far as yeah. I I don't know anyone who's buying ads in Antarctica. But yeah, every other continent we're we're, we're there. Yeah, that's really cool. And and we got introduced uh, through a session you did for a friend of the show that I'm always mentioning, Dennis Shaw. Hello, Dennis, um, who runs the Bay Hello. Area Content Meetup. I don't know why I waved. I mean, I don't I don't record video. <laughs> why did I wave to Dennis? I mean, <laughs> anyway, he can feel the vibe. I hope he feels the vibe. Yeah, and um, he runs the Bay Area Content Meetup. And you talked about your book, Unfair Marketing, and I love marketing books, as you can see behind me. Um, nobody else can see. Um, what inspired you to write this book? Well, you know, I, as, as I've said, I'm sort of an old timer in the world of online marketing. And um, I just look at so many different um, campaigns. I mean, being part of an agency, the nice thing is you just get this broad view of, of hundreds and thousands of different campaigns. And what I started to realize was um, the opportunities for arbitrage in marketing were getting smaller and smaller. And, and by arbitrage, I sim- essentially mean finding uh, ways to sort of squeeze a dollar out of a situation by some some hack. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you you in the in the olden days. I mean, we I would do something like I would say, oh, you know, I'm I'm selling, I'm buying mortgage uh, leads. Yeah. I would go into the Census Bureau in the, in the United States and I'd buy, um, I'd find that the list of every city in America, so 21,000 cities, and I'd append that to the word mortgage rates. And I was yeah. one of the only people who did that. So it was like it was it was like a hack that I came up with to make more money. And what I realized yeah. over the years is those hacks are sort of disappearing. And, and that's yeah. partly because there's a lot of automation out there. Mm-hmm. But but it's also partly because we have just so many, so many more experts in marketing these days. I mean, again, mm-hmm. we were talking about the olden days. I mean, when I started in pay-per-click advertising, you know, there were probably, uh, you know, a, a f- 500 people like me who yeah. knew anything about online marketing. Today, it's probably 5 million. So it it sort of made me realize that to really create an advantage for your your business today, you have to do more than the basics. You right. can't just expect to sort of hire some hacker to to eke an extra five percent out. That doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So you have to come up with things that are sort of unique to you that can mm. give you an unfair advantage. And that's right. that was the genesis of the book. Right. And then in watching you talk about the book, I, I noticed that you talked about five unfair advantages specifically. Can you talk us through those? What are those five? Yeah, so the five unfair advantages. The first one is data, and uh, this is the most important one. Uh, essentially, um, every company has access to lots and lots of data, um, yeah. right? You, I mean, you have obviously your your campaigns that you run, your marketing campaigns. You have your yeah. financial information. You have information about your products. You have in- information about your customers. You have information about your competitors. You have general global trend information. You know, and and you can. You can you have you're already storing a lot of this data in your business. So you know you have a CRM, you have mm-hmm. a financial system or ERP, you have your web analytics, you have your visualization tools, on and on and on. Yeah. And so 
what I found is that most pe- most companies don't know how to extract the maximum value from their data. And essentially, it comes down to four things. They don't know where to find the data. They mm-hmm. don't know how to, um, to uh, normalize the data, to make right. apples to apples comparisons. They don't know how to make it visually compelling so they can interpret the data. They don't know how to activate the data. And right. so that's the first one, just being able to sort of really look at your data and and be able to find learnings that other people can't. Yeah. Um, I really like the I analogy guess. that you used in, in I mean, I would inca- I'm going to include a link to the video with, with you at the Bay Area Content Meetup. But I really like the analogy that you used with um, Back to the Future 2, wasn't it? With, um, with when, when it's Biff, isn't it? When he gets the sports Biff, yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, no, the, con- the, con- the concept there is that in the movie Back to the Future 2, yeah. you know, this this villain somehow comes across a, a sports book from the future that has the scores of every single uh, a game. And, yeah. and, and, and so he uses that to go to the betting parlor and basically yeah. he wins every time because he knows what's going to happen. Um, and so um, that, that's, that analogy sort of goes to show that if you had information, perfect mm-hmm. information on what's going to happen in the future, you would have a huge advantage over the competition. Yeah. Um, but even if you don't have that, I mean, just having using your data better, and yeah. having more data and being able to activate it more. I mean, that's, that's like being Biff and back to the futures too. I mean, yeah. you are, you are, um, you know, playing seventh dimensional chess and your competition is playing checkers. If that's yeah. the data difference that you have. Yeah. I love it. And so what's the second unfair advantage you would recommend? The second one is a knowledge advantage. And so mm-hmm. essentially what that means is hiring experts to run right. your business. And, and I, I've been surprised over the years at, um, Surprised over the years at how people don't have a rigorous approach to hiring and maintaining the quality of their um, mm-hmm. experts. And so, just just one example I, I, I use in the book is, um, you know, I, a lot of CMOs in Silicon Valley come to me and say, "Oh, we're very data driven. We test everything. Everything's a test." And so, you know, we'll be working with this company. I, I had a, a CMO we were working with where in six months we increased their uh, revenue from their e-commerce by $50 million, five zero mm-hmm. in six months from Google yeah. advertising. That's all it was. And the CMO comes to me and says, well, we're bringing this in house. And I said, yeah. why? He yeah. said, well, uh, we need a forcing function to teach our team how to be good at Google. Yeah. And I was like, you know, wouldn't there, shouldn't there be a test here? Shouldn't there be a, yeah. a rigorous process where you say, look, we've got this great marketing agency. We'll do an, we'll do an AB test or yeah. we'll do a bake off something that effect. And so that's just an example where like, you know, the CEO may have, CMO may have been right. I mean, maybe yeah. his team was awesome, but if you aren't constantly rigorously testing and quantifying the knowledge yeah. advantage you have, you're, yeah. you're at a disadvantage. And so yeah. everyone thinks everyone wants to have an expert, but you know, how do you know you have an expert and yeah. how do you make sure that you're constantly um, testing to make sure that expert is best in, in his or her field? So that's, yeah. that's the concept behind the knowledge advantage. Yeah, I like that. And also, I mean, why would you break what's already working? I mean, 50 million, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then, so let's move on to number three. What's the third unfair advantage? The third unfair advantage is an access advantage. So mm-hmm. we all sort of have uh, friends in high places, as we say. Yeah. And, um, you know, how do you use that to help your marketing? And so there's some obvious ways that you can use access. One would be if you have a journalist who, covers uh, your industry and you're friends with that person, you're likely to get in that article, yeah. that person's articles more frequently. But some of the more 
uh, non-intuitive ones are just around connections in the in the marketing world. So as an example, I think two that I give. One is um, a, an access to testing advantage. So a lot of times with Google or Facebook or some of these large publishers, they have betas that they want to run. And they're not quite baked. They're not ready to release them to everyone. But they'll come to people they know, like 3Q Digital, mm-hmm. and say, listen, we'll let you run this beta for, for two months. If it loses your client's money, we'll pay you back. Um, wow. if, it, if it works, then if it works, then you get you get access to this uh, testing protocol before everyone else does. So that's an example of like if you don't have access to the right people at Google, and Facebook, you're missing that opportunity. The yeah. other one that I've found interesting is is what I would call advocacy. So as these publishers get bigger and bigger, it becomes harder and harder to find the right person inside the the, the platform, I should say, inside the platform to sort of help you out. And, and we had a c- case many years ago where we had a company that was selling hunting equipment. On Google. And unfortunately, one of their marketers made a mistake and ran a display ad on Google with um, pictures of ammunition. And Google's guidelines say you can't show ammunition in your ads. That's a a no-no. So they got an email from Google saying, you've been blacklisted for life. You'll never get back on Google again. And they came to us and said, can you help? And I said, well, you know, I can't help everyone. I can't just, it's not like Google's just going to turn someone back on because I said so, but I, I know the right people in Google. Yeah. I can go talk to them. I, I can present what happened and maybe you'll get back on. And, and yeah. sure enough, I went and talked to the right people. We got them live. Yeah. Today, they're spending about uh, $10 million a year on Google. Wow. Um, and they have been for the last seven years since we got them back live. So wow. that's an example of like, that's a huge access, access advantage. Had that yeah. company not been connected to 3Q Digital. Yeah. They might have that's a win-win, right? That's a win for Google as well, right? That a win for of, Google, right? Because yeah, yeah. right, because they need because because if some because they don't know this company from Adam, as they yeah. say. But when I came to them and I said, "Look, I talked to these guys. I found out what happened. You know that we're good stewards of your brand. We're not going to yeah. sort of recommend that you let someone back in who's a spam company yeah. or doing something illicit." Yeah. So it was it was a win for everyone. Yeah, we're, um, my my only little rock star story is that um, we're actually banned from advertising on on Twitter because we said bollocks. <laughs> and, and i've tried a couple of times to try and get that overturned and and they like no you and, and all i can find is that that's the only they, they say because the language you use and the only one i can find is that we said bollocks so that they must, I'm not, gonna they keep must not be they must not be sex pistols fans <laughs> exactly and in <laughs> fact it was it was an article called never mind the bollocks <laughs> <So it's> like, <laughs> well so i mean it, I, it, I, I quite like being banned in a way it's, it's, it's a little badge of honor for rockstar it gives you some cred right you, as a rockstar yeah. like you either yeah. trash a hotel room and get banned on twitter <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so so we got up to that was number three wasn't it so you've got your data you've got your knowledge uh, and then you've got your access what's the fourth the fourth is a brand advantage. And, and again, mm. there's sort of intuitive brand advantages. You know, if you have a brand, you're, you're going to, yeah, you know, it's going to be easier to do a lot of things. But I think the way that I talk about it, and again, I'm sort of an online marketing geek, yeah. is how powerful it is to have a brand in your, in your performance marketing. So yeah. if you're um, Coca-Cola and you're running ads on Google and you have an upstart soda company that's running ads against you, because of your brand, you're going to get a lot more clicks yeah. on your, yeah. on your campaigns. Um, which, which actually reduces the cost per click that you pay because that's the way the Google algorithm works. And then you're also going to get a lot more conversions because people trust your brand. So yeah. you could literally be in a situation where you have the smartest marketers in the world trying to compete against uh, Coke, and Coke yeah. has the sort of average marketers. But because of the brand, their performance yeah. marketing, their direct response is actually significantly improved. Yeah. Um, 
I really yeah. enjoyed that point, actually, when I was watching the video, because what I liked about that is it talks about the fact that we still need to do brand building. We still need to do awareness. You can't just win through digital and through through PPC. You, you need to pay attention to building trust in the audience through through old school brand awareness. Yeah. One of the things that has happened over the last 20 years is that Google in particular, and I don't fault them for this, but they have sort of brought it brought a hammer to the marketing conferences and said you have to measure everything everything has to be roi driven yeah. if you can't measure it don't buy it and so there's a yeah. whole um generation of marketers performance marketers who've grown up with that approach but yeah. what's happened to your point is those performance marketers have never really accepted the idea that branding works and mm -hmm. so you get to this point where where they run into a sort of a, a brick wall and actually yeah. I, i've actually noticed it in the united states i call it um the uh, West Coast, East Coast uh, rap battle of, of marketing because that's what happens. It's another music reference for you, but what happens on the it. West Coast is in Silicon Valley, what happens is companies start out by doing performance marketing online. They do yeah. Google, Facebook, SEO, conversion mm -hmm. rate optimization, web design. They do all of that until they're absolutely exhausted with with the ROI they can get, get from that. And then yeah. they grudgingly get into offline channels like radio direct mail and tv yeah whereas east coast brands typically do the other thing they start with branding they do radio tv yeah sponsorships and then when they can't see any more uh, ro uh, roi from that if they can measure it then they move yeah. into performance marketing and i think just to, to finish the point i the way that i describe this to to clients is i say performance marketers have to engage in storytelling yeah. and brand building and yeah. brand builders have to engage in um analytics and measurement yeah. and yeah. so you have to have a little bit of both, both sides. yeah no i love that point especially i mean i come from a you know i mean i'm all over the place in terms of my marketing but um, in terms of my marketing experience but um content marketing is probably something i'm probably known for and i'm always interested in that in that um in how we blend that in with all the other parts of marketing like performance marketing and stuff because a lot of the time when we talk about seo and ppc it's less about the content and more about the tactics but it has to be both right and it has and you have to have the brand building going on around it because you could be the fifth person on the on the on the on the home on the first page of the search results but if somebody something in that content in your brand in something you're saying lets people skip past the first four then you're a winner right well, and I mean, to that point, I mean, you don't, you don't want to um, be a hammer looking for a nail. And, yeah. you know, it's very easy for, for performance marketers to just focus on buy now, buy now, buy now. And yeah. to your point, like there are, there are many instances where you want to have good content that just um, ex explains to someone a concept without asking them to buy something right away or gets them right. to sign up for a newsletter or right. a demo or whatever. Um, and if you ask them to purchase right then and th there you would lose the business because they're not yeah. ready yet and yeah and that's yeah. a mistake that that people have to make right cool so we're on to the, i've got i've got to be conscious of time because i'm going to get you I'll let you get on with that beautiful morning there in hawaii mm -hmm. um what's the fifth uh unfair advantage you you propose in your book the, the fifth one is a money advantage um mm -hmm. and so you know money of course can buy you better data better experts mm -hmm. better access but i think the way that i think about this is is um how having a well-funded company um, can allow you to wait longer for profitability and potentially sort of buy your way in the market share. And yeah. I think the example I'd give here is um, I was thinking about like, let's say you went onto Google and you bought, you typed in the word school pencils yeah. and there was a, uh, you know, Amazon sells school pencils for 50 cents and yeah. 
someone else sells school pencils for 50 cents. Well, we know that Amazon is playing the long game. You know, they, mm-hmm. they lost money for years and years um, yeah. because they were trying to build customers. So, so Amazon might say, well, you know, we know that one in every hundred people that buy pencils from us, from Google, mm-hmm. are going to become prime customers. Yeah. And those prime customers are going to average over the course of their lifetime $10,000 of, um, of purchases from us, which actually means so one out of 100 of, with a $10,000 purchase, I think, means $100 of revenue. Yeah. So that 50-cent pencil that Amazon sells, they might be willing to pay $80 to acquire yeah. that 50-cent pencil because yeah. – they're playing that, but they have the money to, to play that. And so if you're a competitor of Amazon and you're like, well, I have a 50 cent pencil, I can pay 30 cents, but I yes. have to have 20, you know, Amazon's going to blow you out of the water. So yeah. that's an example. I mean, and obviously not everyone has that luxury, but if you have yeah. that ability to sort of um, the delayed gratification effect, so to speak, yeah. it can be a huge advantage to the business. It's, and I mean, that's not just about having tons of money in the bank. That's about using your budget in that sort of long-term, very, careful way isn't it i mean about i would imagine that rather than spreading your budget thinly for example that you actually think about the the price of things and actually selling something cheaply could be a marketing tactic and therefore the budget comes differently and all that kind of stuff yeah and it goes back to the data as well i mean Mm. if you're able to measure the the true impact of that purchase the lifetime value and how that customer might refer other customers the the viral coefficient whatever you want to say yeah um, it changes the way that you think about your marketing. If you're, yeah. if you're only looking at it, like as did I, I spent $500 today, did I make $600 at the end of the day? Yeah. You can, you can be profitable that way, but you're yeah. not going to build a, a massively you know, right. dominant business. Right. Right. Okay. So we've come to the end of the five. Now, I, I mean, it's probably unfair because they're probably like children to you, but which would you pick as your favorite? Which, where would you say that if a marketer came across these five and they should focus on one for right now today, which would you say? I think it's definitely the data, the first one, yeah. because at the end of the day, um, as I said, we all have access to data, but the yeah. smartest companies are the ones that are mining that data mm-hmm. and are just bringing it to their marketing team saying, you know, when people in Florida who are between the ages of 35 and 45, who have an iPhone, who are um, surfing at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday morning uh, and click on the following word are 10 times more likely to buy than someone else. I mean, yeah. that's when you have, that's that's when you truly have an unfair advantage because then your, yeah. comp- your competitors are looking at you and saying, how are they buying that word or how are they buying that advertisement? Yeah. It's, it, it's not profitable for us. It's like, well, it's not profitable for you because you haven't mined the data the way we have. Right. So right. we're buying the 5% of customers who are profitable and we're giving you the 95% of customers who aren't. So right. a- anytime you can, you can improve your data game, you're yeah. going to have an unfair advantage of the competition. Yeah, yeah. And I think the interesting thing is, is when you picked your favorite there, you almost mentioned all five, didn't you? Because it's about the data. It's about having that knowledge. It's about having the money and focusing in on there. I think I think that's excellent. Right. So I'm coming up to time. In fact, I've gone past time. Thank you for your patience, David. Um, one final question. We have a regular feature in the Rockstar CMO, the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool, inspired by old rock stars that threw things in swimming pools. It's our portal to health, all the bullshit, snake oil, and overhyped trends that sometimes afflict this industry we love what would you throw in our rockstar cmo swimming pool i think i would throw a lot of uh small to medium business agencies into the pool and um <laughs> i'm not saying that they're all snake oil salesmen but um unfortunately i run into a lot of companies and they're not big enough to work with 3q but i give them yeah. advice out of the kindness of my heart i guess nice. who get these pit these pitches that say oh well for fifteen hundred dollars a month we're going to apply all of these great techniques to your business and you're going to, yeah. we're going to transform your business into a powerhouse. And, and then you sort of look under the hood and it's basically, 
you know, a, a boiler room in some low cost area where um, every person working there has 500 clients and yeah. they have, a, they have an, um, an automated system that sort of makes a few changes a month. And of that $1,500, you know, a thousand of it goes to their fees and 500 goes to the, the ad buying. Yeah. So I wish there, I wish there was a, a, a consistently good way to help small businesses drive good results online. But uh, alas, it seems like the, the standard process is um, mm. a lot of agencies that basically depend on a percentage of their clients not realizing that they're getting scammed and mm. continuing to, to buy the subscription. So that's, yeah. that's what I'd throw in. I love that. I love that. And especially as it's, it comes from a good place and that you want to help um, small to medium-sized businesses. It's not just, and, and well, I mean, the other thing I would say is that there are some big agencies out there that where you should really look at the fees as well and how much value you're getting from the talent. So, but yeah, I think that's an excellent Absolutely. thing. So that is definitely going to in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. And finally, David, if people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? So you can go to 3qdigital.com, of course. And um, I, I have to admit that I haven't been banned by Twitter, but I haven't really been using Twitter that much. But <laughs> I am someday going to post a little bit more on um, at Rodnitsky. And then on LinkedIn, I do have a um, newsletter on LinkedIn, which I believe is called The Double Bubble, where mm -hmm. I do post somewhat more frequently. So if you're on LinkedIn, yeah. uh, check out that newsletter. All right. Well, I'll include all the links in the show notes. And I really look uh, thank you for that. And I look forward to reading your book, which I haven't yet. Um, and because I'm an avid reader of marketing books, as anybody who knows me knows. And so I'm looking forward to that arriving. And thank you very much, David, for your time. And enjoy Hawaii. Mahalo. <laughs> thank I mean, you. thank I wish you in Hawaii. <laughs> I wish I knew what to say in return. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, David. I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes. Also, thanks again to Dennis Shaw, friend of the show, for the introduction. And I will also include a link to the presentation David gave to the Bay Area Content Meetup that Dennis organizes, where David goes into the topics of his book in much more depth. Right. It's that time of the week. It's Friday evening. Time to wind down and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Ah, uh, hello, my friend. It's uh, it's oddly quiet in the bar this week, isn't it? It's <laughs> Thank like, God for that. I don't really hear anything at all. I, it's 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 deathly quiet. In fact, it's it's uh, uh, it's, it's a really well, nice. Apart from the piano. Um, yes. Well, here's the thing. Yes. I have just come back from travel. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, the hotel bars all around the world are, are quiet these days. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a strange time for sure. Um, but what we're drinking uh, this week uh, is an interesting, fun, sort of fancy drink. Um, mm -hmm. I discovered this uh, quite by accident, actually. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's commonly known as a, as a lagerita. Um, which I quite like. <laughs> um, I, I like this name for it because it's, it's, it explains exactly what it is. And so what you do is you have your favorite tequila. And in this case, we'll be using a lovely uh, Don Julio Reposado uh, for the tequila. 
And then you mix in, so if it's, you know, one shot, let's call it one shot of tequila. And then what we do is we fill up the rest of our rocks glass here um, with uh, your favorite lager, um, which, you know, in, in my case here is a, is a Mexican beer. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it doesn't have to obviously be a Mexican beer. Um, but this will be uh, one of my favorite Dos Equis of Mexican beers here. And then we top it off with a little bit of lime juice and a little bit of uh, when we do the salt rim, which we, you know, around the edge of the glass, mm-hmm. we'll mix in sea salt, of course, and a, a mild sort of very tasty chili powder to give it a little bit of a uh, give it a little bit of heat. So there you go. Your sea salt with a mild chili mm-hmm. powder rim around the glass, mm-hmm. some tequila, or excuse me, some lime juice in the in the uh, in the actual glass, and then the drink itself is uh, a well, your favorite uh, reposado tequila mixed mm-hmm. in with your favorite lager, and uh, and, wow. and enjoy that. I must say, my experience of uh, tequila and lager. Isn't as classy as that. <laughs> no, it usually isn't. You know, usually in university, it's a shot of tequila with a sniffing up the nose of the salt, and then a pound of the beer, right? And then often something's on fire. That's right. <laughs> but so I'm, I'm going to give that a go. Now it doesn't sound like you put ice in that. You? you do actually put ice in this one. Ah, so, but splendid. I know that's a little weird All with right. the lager. But but you, yeah, we yeah. do actually put a little ice in here. All right. Well, I I am. Um, I, I, I don't, well, actually, I was drinking Mexican beer this week with lime, uh, so it was a little bit classy. Oh, there um, you go. So, yeah, uh, just lime on the rim. Yeah. Uh, so to, I don't have uh, I have the English of of most English of reposado tequilas. Obviously, I have uh, some Hendrix gin. Ah. By the way, these aren't sound effects. This is a yeah, very nice, gin very nice. Here. Your Hendrix gin sounds yeah, this, not at all like a reposado, but it's it's. Uh, <laughs> it will do in a pinch <laughs> and then i have some fizzy water as well uh if i can get this open I, so um I have, that's what uh, american uh, beer is commonly called yeah. by the way is fizzy water yeah, yeah. exactly exactly yes. so i know these things so my, my but my my um my my version of fizzy water that i'm putting into my liquor is Indian tonic water. Ah, I so see. I, be, I see. A bit of tonic water. Yeah, I have. A, I Sometimes have a known as being as strong as American beer, but yes, nonetheless. <laughs> certainly, uh, certainly has flavour. More flavour. Let me give this a try. So basically, liquor with fizzy water in it. Mmm, that's delicious, Robert. Yeah. Very good choice this week. I do like that one. Mmm. I should be. Uh, I could. I could drink one of these every week. Yeah, and and probably will. I love it. And probably will. Absolutely. Um, and and we're, we're, I, I like that combination. I've never tried the tequila and the lager in the same glass, so that's that's interesting. What um and where? What did you call it again? This would be a lagerita. A lagerita. Very get nice. it? It's and, a, it's the, the 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 hint is in the title. Yeah. It's, there you go. Mm. I like the way you've made it sound so classy. So whereabouts would be we'd be drinking this? I don't know. Maybe it's a, the the most working class of margaritas. I think we've tried. What you've shared with us. What, yeah. Well, I you know it was interesting because this uh, about a week ago I made my first sort of trip um, mm-hmm. outside sort of a hundred mile radius of of, of Los Angeles here, yeah. and one of the places we ended up was uh, in the desert in, on our on our through you know as we were driving through, mm-hmm. and there is a certain time of year. Uh, and it's this time of year, typically, yeah. 
when the desert during the day is awful. It's absolutely horrific, right? I mean, it's, you know, uh, in Fahrenheit, it's, you know, it's 120 degrees and it's uh, dry and nobody wants to be out there. But as it turns to evening, uh, you know, when it gets to be seven or eight o'clock at night, um, it cools off quite substantially and becomes just lovely. Um, And so I figure we're watching the sunset in let's yeah. call it Palm Springs or Palm Desert. Uh, I actually prefer Palm Desert to Palm Springs, um, right. but um, just that's just east of Los Angeles in the desert. Mm-hmm. And this way the sun sets behind the mountain there, the way that Palm Desert and Palm Springs are tucked up underneath the mountain there, um, provides a lovely bit of shade and a beautiful sunset and a great place to enjoy our lageritas. Ah, sounds lovely. And it sounds like a... A refreshing drink for such a, uh, you know, if you have happened to have wandered in dur- earlier during the day. That's right. So I can imagine a few of these going down just as we ease our slate, our, our thirst from, from, the, from the desert day. And and I, this sounds like an idyllic situation. And um, I'm sure there are many things we could be discussing around life in a, such an environment. And I would imagine you can see the stars and all that kind of stuff. But conversation is bound to turn to marketing what would we be discussing Robert? well it's a bit of a cautionary tale uh, mm-hmm. i think you know it came about i was reminded of a classic uh example of where the and the importance of coordination when it comes to content and the content that we create for the strategy part of our business and you know one of the things that we often don't do uh, as marketers is when we're trying to make a business case uh, for content, one of the things that we believe that we need to do is to make the case for the team to create, you know, amazing, inspirational, educational, or just, you know, just plain old valuable, wonderful content that serves the audience, serves the business, etc. And the challenge is, of course, that the business leadership, the CEOs, the C-suite that we talk to, they go, yeah, we're all in, you know, great. Mm-hmm. Go create your your wonderful, high quality educational. I, I get we get that. But why does it have to cost so much? And why are you so uncoordinated in doing it? You know, that's wow. that's actually the business case we're we're really trying to make here. Mm-hmm. And what it reminds me of, and I was, I found myself telling this story to, uh, to, to a colleague, uh, last week was, so we have to go back all the way to 2010 and Procter and Gamble and, uh, in Procter and Gamble, one of the things they make, of course, is diapers under the Pampers brand. And so back in 2010, they introduced this new brand of diaper. And they called it the iPod of baby care. And that's when like iPods were <laughs> still a thing, right? You know, but, but they were, they were calling it this new, this new diaper, the iPod of baby care. And basically. A lot of things were the iPod of something. That's right. Then, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So the redesigned diaper was, you know, it was 20% thinner and, and mm-hmm. it was more absorbent and all the things that a diaper should be when it's new. Mm-hmm. But when they go to introduce this new product to a test market, they 
didn't coordinate anything with marketing, with content, with PR, with anything. In fact, they didn't tell anything, stories that would support the need for a new product. They didn't even put it in a new package. All they did was put the new diapers in the old packaging and uh. didn't communicate the change at all. And once it went out into the marketplace, all of a sudden words started to spread through the online channels because parents were noticing, they were noticing the difference and they didn't like it at all. They didn't like the new, <laughs> they didn't like the new, this new product one little bit. And then there was a Facebook yeah. group that sprang up around this issue. Like what the hell is, you know, Pampers doing here with this new product and parenting blogs started loudly protesting. And basically a mommy, the mommy bloggers started to complain about all this stuff. And basically it was a classic story of P&G letting other people tell the story above their product without them yeah. participating. Now, interestingly, you know, you can point to all sorts of things about marketing uh, being a problem there, <clears throat> but the product wasn't faulty, right? Like yeah. one of the main things that they learned here was as one angry mommy blogger said, like I joined this protest group, not because the product didn't work because it actually did work, but basically I did it because I don't trust them that, you know, that they did yeah. this without telling us without, you know, it's, so it seems deceptive. And yeah. that is all about coordination. That to me is all about coordination of the messaging and the content. And ultimately it doesn't matter if your product is innovative or if your advertising is efficient or your blog is award-winning or your white papers are differentiated. If it's all siloed and you don't coordinate a compelling story, you're going to run the risk of losing trust no matter how good your individual yeah. piece of content is. And so in many companies, basically we need to remember that what we're doing is, yes, we are making an argument to be more like a media company, but it's because media companies treat content like a product. And mm. so the P&G story shows us that for any successful product activation, it takes a coordinated yeah. effort of many different areas of the business. And so what we can learn here is that we content marketers, we content practitioners, we can create these awesome new assets that are 20% thinner and more absorbent mm. and stick to the butt better. But if we don't coordinate our release efforts with the other teams, customers aren't going to care. Yeah. And, and there's, a, there's a, yeah, and there's a great why in your story, isn't it? It's because people don't like change. That's right. I mean, it, you know, it, it, and it, it, it um, has a psychological effect on them around trust. That's right. And so if we don't coordinate and get everything out, you know, like uh, a, a, in a coordinated strategic way, we can create the best, most amazing blog ever. We can create the most yeah. amazing white paper ever. But if it's not <clears throat> integrated into everything else we do, yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good the product is because the customer either won't care or won't trust us once where they do find out. Right. And what sort of advice do you give to organizations who are trying to hook all this stuff up? Because... You know, it's all very well. I mean, every, and you speak to anybody and everybody says, yeah, working in silos is terrible. And then they go back to their silo. <laughs> and so how, how, do you, how do you encourage people to, you know, if there's a great content initiative going on, how do you encourage people to bring other people from the business into that? Well, it's, you know, I mean, the, the, the short snarky answer is don't right? <laughs> don't, you know, don't work in silos and don't work, you know, don't work uh, opposite of each other. I mean, I'm not even teasing you here when I said I had yes. a former client say to us one point, well, marketing just needs to understand that the product group has a different objective than they do. And I just wanted to oh, yell at them and I wanted to say, no, they don't. 
They, they, <laughs> no, they shouldn't. You know, what are, what are you insane? And, but yet there's met that feeling exists in a lot of organizations. So, you know, the short, again, the short snarky answer is stop doing, you know, it's like when, you know, it hurts yeah. when I do this doctor, well, stop doing that. Right. Yeah. And, but, but literally it is, how do you create a core, you know, how do you create content as a function? Content is the one thing that businesses make more of than anything else in the world. And so we should coordinate it. We should get good at it. We should get good at making it a strategic function in the business. And the the interesting thing there is I think you've got to put in the hard work because I think that everybody enjoys the creative bit of marketing and creating the stories and creating all of that stuff. But to bring everybody on board with it means setting up meetings and having advisory boards and risking having somebody criticize your idea and all that. It's, it's hard, isn't it? But it's it's so necessary because once everybody bonds bonds into it, then they're off, aren't they? Oh yeah. I mean, as I've said a million times, you know, ninety nine point five percent of content strategy has nothing to do with content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you do, I mean, I've been in this situation, and you hear a sales guy play back to you the messaging that you've been working at. It's so rewarding because those guys are the most cynical, the most hardened. They're in front of the customer all the time, and they're the ones that are going to be cynical of your new marketing message. But if you can make that breakthrough, then you kind of cracked it. I mean, if those guys are then saying the message and they're saying that direct to the customers then you know this new thinner diaper is gonna make it into the marketplace yeah no that's exactly right yeah, yeah. i mean it's yeah. you know and but it's the stuff that really nobody wants to work on yeah right it's yeah. A, it's a hard yeah. thing to get you know as i've also said before you know walk around the office i mean i know we don't walk yeah. around the office much these days but when we right. you know when you walk around the office and you have a excel spreadsheet and you want to talk about workflow and content governance and all that try and scare up a meeting for people who want to attend that right but then walk around the office with the latest website comps and you know and what the you know the yeah. pretty pictures are going to be for our new marketing campaign and all of a sudden everybody wants to play and participate in that meeting yeah. it's like yeah. you, you have to do, like just to your point you have to do the hard work yeah, I love it. And we always have to do the hard work. I think that's excellent. Thank you very much, Robert. And where can people find thoughts just like this? They could find it at our little hovel on the web, which, of course, mm-hmm. is content dot, uh, contentadvisory.net. Um, yes. And uh, that's, where we're, that's where we're publishing a lot of this stuff these days. Splendid. Yeah, I know. And uh, when they spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? They're going to find me in all the usual social media hangouts, including Twitter and LinkedIn um, and uh, would love to connect with anybody there. Well, splendid. Well, thank you very much, Robert. And will I see you in the bar next week? I suspect so. It might be a bit noisier <laughs> next week. We'll see. <laughs> I look forward to it. Baby. All right. <laughs>Thank you, Robert. Thankfully, he went easy on me with the sound effects this week and a great point about coordination. So that's a wrap on episode 75 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks again to Jeff, David and Robert. I really appreciate their time and push them to share their insights. So please check out their work. You'll find all their links in the show notes in your favorite podcatcher or at rockstarcmo.fm where you can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Please let me know what you think. Get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please leave a rating or review in your favorite podcatcher. Just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. 
Next week, Jeff takes another week off. I chat with B2B marketing expert and author Maureen Blandford, and I'll no doubt find Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, I've been your host, Ian Truscott, and I hope you'll again join us next week here at Rockstar CMO FM. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.